0: And welcome back to 007x7, 007 7, the podcast where we are investigating the James Bond films seven minutes at a time. I'm John Engel.
1: And I'm Mitch Bryan. And today we're looking at minutes 49 to 56, beginning with Bond driving up to see Miss Taro and ending with him pausing at the phonograph, about to put on some tunes. In between, he escapes death by a hearse, surprises Miss Taro at her place, kills some time in bed with her, turns her over to the authorities, and prepares for the arrival of her backup guest. Agent, not guest. We don't know who it is, actually. <laughs>
0: well, he was going to be her guest. I guess she hoped so. But. <laughs> so we have uh, two guests this week. We have Susan Tekla Kruglinska and Joe Dater. You might remember them from multiple appearances on Alien and Aliens Minute. Susan has her own show, uh, Rosemary's Baby 666. Yes. And previously, The Shining 237, which uh, Joe is also a regular. What do you call it, co-host? Will you call him a co-host, or is he just a just guest? Just
2: frequent, frequent, most favored guest.
0: I'm her Tony Randall. I'm the person yeah. who calls when somebody else
3: cancels. It's <laughs> <for, laughs> available on short notice.
2: Tony Randall
0: to her Rock Hudson? Or, yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, I'm,
3: I'm just as prickly.
0: And that's Joe Dater. Uh, I introduced him as New Yorker cartoonist Joe Dater. I um, always like to mention his great uh, work as a cartoonist. If you. Uh, How
3: do you do? Thanks for inviting me. It's good to be back. I'd like to just uh, describe my attire uh, for this podcast: uh, the dinner jacket, uh, Anthony Sinclair; uh, the shirt, Turnbull and Asser, London; the trousers, none, none
0: whatsoever. <laughs> I'm wearing no trousers.
2: And as 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 any good podcast guest does, yes.
0: dress yes, dress course. dress. Well, yeah. most of the podcast guests though like. Frame themselves up from the waist up, though. Unfortunately, Joe, <laughs> it's just, is it just a full why? Wide shot here? Why? It's so, uh, my
3: fault. The computer is backwards somehow. I can't fix it. I don't know why, but it only shows the lower half. It's a
1: problem. And Joe, you're also the director of the devastating documentary about the 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 passing of of willy wonka oh right? my and yes the tragedy the tragedies that befell all of the children who uh, went through the factory it's an amazing and sad documentary and it's it called citizen candy man is that right? citizen Candyman, Citi- citizen
3: right? Candyman. <laughs> and i always have to correct people that it's that's three words because if you make it two words then it's about the horror movie character candy man which is completely different so it Willy is, Wonka though. was the candy
0: man and exactly how many times have you said candy man just now just I mean I guess well, if you're say, saying it as two words we're fine
3: yeah I mean you, just, you have to say okay. it six times and then Willy Wonka appears okay. which is maybe a little more frightening perhaps <laughs> it might be it might I be don't know. actually
2: and I'm just going to throw in that Joe also hosted a podcast called Songs That You're Sick Of which was <sighs> I know but it's so good and everybody should demand so demand that he bring it back demand
3: I, I, you can demand all you want <laughs> go ahead Bring it on. Joe got sick Not of happening.
0: songs you're sick of, I think. Not happening. I mean, when you're sick of the songs. Did
1: you, was there a consensus as the, the song that most people are most sick of? See,
3: this is the problem I ran into with the podcast and why I retired it. Um, it wasn't about being
0: sick of songs. <laughs> it really wasn't. I wasn't sick of hardly any of the songs you guys talked about. No, I was show. a
3: terrible title, and I chose the wrong title, and the whole thing was it, it, absolutely a mistake from the get-go.
2: It, it only made sense to people, Gen X and higher, because we remember what radio was like where you didn't have streaming you couldn't choose the music you listened to you sat by the radio and they force fed yeah, yeah. you the same right. 20 songs over and over and that's why we would mm-hmm. get sick of those songs even though we love them you know so but it
3: was the show was it was a celebration of those songs of of those sort of like in in so f, classic rock songs that are so familiar that they become like members of your family and you're sick of them in the way that you're sick of members of your family who you love but they're just there every day when you wake up, and you're yeah. affectionately sick of them. And nobody really got that concept, and it was really hard to explain to people.
0: Yeah, so. and songs that are like members of your family is just not a great podcast title. <laughs> no, no, say. not
3: at all. I couldn't come up with a better one, yeah. and uh, then the one I came up with sucked. So I no. just uh, thought this whole project needs
1: to go in the trash. <laughs> I don't know. We've got the 007 theme twice in these seven minutes, so it could be on the verge of being a song that we're sick of by the time we're finished with this podcast and doesn't take anything away from it being a fine
2: number.
0: I'm already there. I'm sorry. I'm already there, Mitch. Already sick of the Bond theme. Speaking
2: of songs, so since you record these kind of in advance, we don't really know what you've talked about. But I mean, have you kind of talked about best Bond songs and all that stuff? I mean, there's no way. It's such a great topic.
0: Yeah, we might save that for later films because this one doesn't really have a Bond song, you know. So we might wait until we, you know, maybe wait until Goldfinger, which, you know, I guess would probably win a poll. If you put a poll out there, it'd probably win Best Bond Song, uh, popularly speaking. But um, we might wait until then to talk about that. But yeah, that's definitely a topic coming down. We got a lot of movie A lot of movies to cover and a lot of subjects to bring up. So we might wait on that one.
2: Uh, But
1: we always do ask about first Bond movies or your experience with James Bond. And I would love to hear uh, from both of you. what, What was your first Bond movie or I don't know, however you want to frame that.
2: I, I don't remember. I mean, certainly I must have seen my first Bond movies on TV as a kid, edited with commercials. You know, that's usually that's how I saw The Shining the first time. That's how I saw pretty much all these classic movies the first time. So I don't remember. I'm sure it was a mix. Um, uh, uh, I'm sure I saw a few of them. And then I do have a recollection, for some reason, of seeing the one with the Duran Duran theme song. Speaking of theme songs, um, what is that? View to a Kill. Like, I, I kill. remember that because I remember... Duran Duran were so hot and I wasn't even a fan but I thought you know that, that song's kind of a guilty pleasure it's not very good but it really works in that opening and um so for some reason I remember that and I remember certainly over my lifetime seeing others again it's it becomes when you hit middle age everything's a blur so uh but in uh, preparation for the show though I did go back and I um watched all of the Casino Royales which I I well, had two
3: of them. Oh, wow, three,
2: three. There's oh, three.
3: Right, there's, yeah, three. there's I three. I forgot. One of them I
2: had already seen because of The Shining. So you know, I saw, that I watched, I had watched when I was doing the Shining podcast, The Shining two thirty seven. Barry Nelson was the first James Bond. I'm sure you might have discussed yeah. that. And uh, so that's kind of amazing. He played Ullman in The Shining. So I had I had um, you know discussed that in the in, my, in that podcast. And then um, I watched just watched the obviously the Daniel. Daniel uh, Craig one, and then uh, I don't know why I didn't remember there was a 1967 comedy that's insane, and I, I uh, <laughs> yes,
1: yeah. pretty insane.
3: It's yeah. quite insane. <laughs> yeah. it's, that it's... was probably the first James Bond movie I ever saw.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah,
3: Yeah. Really? yeah. That was probably <laughs> my hilarious. my introduction as a child, as a small child to James Bond, um, and I remember it really well because it was more child friendly, I guess, for you know, for a nine year old kid that was. That, that it was actually funny. It was it, it, <laughs> crazy, wacky stuff for a nine-year-old kid. It also featured um, several things that made me feel feelings I had not felt before as a boy. <laughs> uh, you know, many, many semi-nude women uh, running around, uh, you know, this, this like is, a girl in a bathtub. Uh, of note David is... David Niven gets in the bathtub with her. Whoa, I'm nine years old. What's going on? <laughs> I don't understand why this is so compelling to me. But it was... So I remember that probably as my first knowledge of James Bond.
2: And and of note, of course, that's so that's Peter Sellers. David Niven plays Bond. David um, Niven, it's it's this incredibly Woody colorful Allen, yeah. explosion of color that you should watch it just for the visuals of it. But it also includes yeah. Deborah Carr, who I love, doing rape jokes. That's the kind of movie. <laughs> it's, it's like and groundbreaking and stuff.
3: And it's it's one of those <laughs> movies that had a troubled production and ended up being a complete disaster. There's like six listed directors and writers. It. Yeah. And, write, and and endless writers, and the, the the cast was this absolute clusterfuck of egos—Orson Welles and Peter Sellers and and Woody Allen—and and Woody Allen, and they all ended up hating each other, and the whole thing just feels completely disjointed, and it's a mess, and it's not funny, and it's terrible, and also kind of wonderful.
2: Soundtrack by yeah. Bert Bacharach, which is amazing. Oh, and it,
3: yeah, it, and it gave us the song The Look of Love. That's yeah. where that song yeah. comes yep. from, um, remarkably. So if it's good for anything, it's good for that at least.
2: Yeah, it's worth a watch.
3: Yeah. I was never a, a, into James Bond as a kid. I, I I don't know. It just never took with me. I was. I grew up mostly in the 70s, so it was the Roger Moore era. So I, I remember seeing a couple of the Roger Moore films in a theater when they came out. I'm sure I saw The Spy Who Loved Me when it came out. Um, which is, by the way, my favorite James Bond theme song, because it's of all the James Bond theme songs that, um, Carly Simon's, uh, Nobody Does It Better is the only one that is about me specifically. Mm. So that's why that's my favorite of all time. She wrote a lot of
0: songs about you, Joe. At least yeah, one yeah. other one I, I can think of. I
3: think that song is about me. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think. I think. Um, but uh you know i'm sure i saw that one in the theater and i remember the 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 submarine car and all that stuff and that was pretty cool and uh mostly though i it just didn't take with me Uh, and i'll I'll (laughs) i had a friend uh, at the time who was my friend who lived in the same building as me Um, his name was stevie and one uh, day one halloween we went trick-or-treating together and we decided to do a double costume where we were a team and so he dressed up as James Bond. He got himself a tuxedo and he got himself a gun and he was James Bond because was Stevie was cool. He could be genuinely unironically cool. He had that ability and he had the inclination to be cool. And for me, um, my costume was I got myself a tweed hat and a trench coat and a magnifying glass. And you can see where this is going. I was, <laughs> I was Inspector Clouseau.
2: Of course. <laughs> that was
3: my costume. So that tells you everything you need to know about my relationship to James Bond. Uh, I chose Inspector Clouseau.
1: Peter Sellers. Yeah. He was a James Bond. I'd, I was, I'd, I'd pick
2: Maxwell Smart. That's That would be me. But
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, so are we all picking our spies we would have been <laughs> for Halloween? I was a huge Clouseau. My dad was a giant Clouseau fan. So we watched those Pink Panther movies all the time. Oh, yeah. I, I might have gone that direction, too. I mean, we would quote, we certainly wouldn't sit around the house quoting James Bond movies, but we, uh, uh, Guy Gage and such <laughs> characters that, uh, that Inspector oh, yeah. Clouseau would put on. And those,
3: those, on, we... and those came mostly, largely came out in the 70s, too, and I went yeah. to see those, even though they were, some of them were highly inappropriate for, like, an eight-year-old.
0: Were they? Because I watched them a lot when I was that age, too. Oh, I, I don't remember. Maybe.
3: I remember growing up a few steps during one of those. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> Well, I guess we should, uh, should talk about I, the movie. Well, well,
3: well, before we do that, I do want to bring up something, which is that um, we, Susan and I talked about having martinis um, ready to drink. Uh, so I, I, I have a
2: tradition on my shows. On the, on the Shining, when we got to the scene with the uh, avocados I made avocado and I, me and my guests, you know. And then when I in Rosemary's baby, when we got there's a vodka blush that they drink it, 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 when they have dinner with the castavets. Cast so I made vodka yeah. blushes for all the guests. There was a bunch of guests for that one. So and we I, had chocolate mousse. We there. had chocolate we, with the chalky we undertaste? Had yeah, so the under- so, right. so, we, so we were very we were very yeah. motivated to have vodka, uh, to have martinis. Yeah, in.
3: we got the chalky undertaste, because Susan found a bodega which had uh, a pudding mix that had been on the shelf for 17 years, right. <laughs> and we. We got the Chunky Undertaste. It was very serendipitous. <laughs> um, but So I, we'd plan on that. But I am uh, temporarily um, uh, forbidden to have alcohol, so I can't have uh, vodka or vermouth. The only element of the martini I, I can have is I have olives, and I have some right here. So I'm going <laughs> to... That I olives. could
2: not participate. I'm eat a
0: couple yeah, of
3: olives. Yeah. The, yeah.
0: my least favorite food in the uh, world.
2: Me too. Oh, me man. too. High that's five.
3: Yeah. When I get my martinis, <laughs> that's my special. <laughs> James Bond recipe is <laughs> extra olives. That's what I say. i like a whole <laughs> cup full of olives sent, marinating in, in vermouth. But, so I did want to bring this up because sorry for eating on the air. We, um, we're we recording this a week after we were supposed to because we were scheduled to do it a week ago, but I was struck, and that's the reason for my delicate condition. I was I was struck on the morning we were going to we were going to record, I had excruciating pain, and I ended up in the hospital uh, one week ago with what turned out to be a kidney stone. So, but I'm fine now, and I'm okay. We're so we're concerned. concerned. Yes, I know, well, you're I'm all just reacting like, oh my God, <laughs> poor Joe. Oh well, these, in the age these of things co- happen. In the age
2: of COVID, you're gonna have to do better than that. <laughs> these
0: I'm sorry. Things happen. Oh, is that Kidney stone, okay. Come on. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was literally doubled over in pain and
3: yeah. could not No, really it's really pain, painful. Speak. No, he I
2: couldn't he couldn't even text. No, ordinarily yeah. painful. No, no, no. I've i had it, painful.
0: I've had one as well. It was I don't <laughs> think mine was as bad as as yours. Uh mine passed rather easily, but uh but it was horrible beforehand. It was absolutely horrible. Yeah. 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 the so.
1: things that you get on the 007x7 yeah. podcast, you just never know <laughs> what's going to be discussed.
0: <laughs> you never <yeah. laughs>
3: I just felt for full disclosure. I thought the listeners would want to know uh, why it sounds like we're recording we're a week after we were supposed to. Yeah, that's true. They were they were going to come through on the air. That's it comes obvious. through on the air. Yeah. Right. yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: why is it more late July than mid-July? They're, they're asking right now.
3: Well, the, I assume that uh, this is mid-August at this point, um, which is sort of serendipitous because uh, we are very, very close to August the 25th which is the 90th birthday of Sir Sean Connery.
0: That's a, That will be something we'll need to celebrate. So I guess we just did.
3: I had an olive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> olive Everybody Sir Sean. Have,
3: do whatever you can. If you can't drink a martini, just eat an olive. Something for Sir Sean Connery, who I will be referring to uh, for the remainder of this podcast as SSC. Okay. SSC. Okay, Note, okay noted. that sounds good. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Do we want to talk about this movie SSC at some point? OVE? Yeah, we should talk about the
0: movie. Well, okay. We So the, these minutes start, we're still in the middle. Mitch, we talked about how long that dissolve was. It's so long, it lasted an entire week. Uh, the dissolve to Bond driving up to Miss Taro's house. We're still in it.
2: Yeah, it's like a Kubrick-like dissolve. I mean, he does those really mm. super slow dissolves. And then yeah. you hear her voice giving him yeah. directions I love that. Which, that was apparently kind of novel, right?
1: It was, yeah. Yeah, and and also, yeah, so none of that stuff, that's all Bob Simmons driving that car. So there's no yeah. Connery involved that day until the until he steps up to say the line. Uh, and what's so interesting about it is they didn't know how they were going to finish the stunt. They didn't know how they were going to get James Bond away from the hearse that's following him. And apparently on the day, Terrence Young saw that construction equipment in the road and said... Well, can you go under that? And Bob Simmons said, uh, he went and measured it, and he said, yeah, I, I, I think so. So the first shot was putting the camera in the car, and Bob Simmons said that, like he realized as he was going, that it was bouncing. And Terrence Young says the same thing, that he saw that the car was hitting these bumps. And um, so he went for it, and he bumped right before, and he bumped right after. But at it, had he bumped underneath that thing, it probably would have taken the camera and probably his head off. And so there's no second take of that showing the car actually executing the stunt. It's all done from the point of view of the camera shot that they did. Right. See, I'm you don't sure. see
3: the car go under the thing, and the first time I watched it, it was confusing uh-huh. to me what had actually happened.
2: Yes, you do. Don't you?
0: Well, you see no, it from the don't. point of view of the car. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: Right. Well, you know...
1: The rear screenshot. Yeah,
2: so we should explain to the listeners, to get away from this hearse, the, the only way to... He's being chased by a hearse on this dusty road, and the only way to get away from it is to is to—is like the mouse going into the hole, and there's no way the, the hearse could make it in.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I, to me, you know, I, I, I would have guessed that that was just a process shot too. Like we're all these process shots of, you know, the rear projected shots of him driving away. I thought that they just shot something, you know, like took a dolly and put it underneath the crane and that was how they got the shot. And I'm and considering that yeah. all they got was that shot. It's really kind of a bummer that they just didn't do that in the
1: first place and
0: not risk anybody's <laughs> life. They certainly did not exactly. need to risk anybody's life for that kind of blackluster shot.
1: Yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's true. They kind of did it in the wrong order. And then when the hearse goes off the cliff, not only can you see the camera crew's shadow as it goes down past past, but um, Terrence Young was operating the second camera and he said that he had his his eye on the eyepiece and the camera assistant pulled him out of the way because the car ended up hitting the camera; and would have killed him.
0: Well, and Mitch, I don't know. You know, the way. this is a, a a story that they don't talk about a lot because it was it's kind of controversial, and they tried to cover it up. But a stuntman died as the car went over the edge there because uh, Terrence Young was unable to, to to yell cut on time. Really? Due to he had been yeah he had been using this uh, this new technology for his glasses called the OptiGrab. And uh, he was unable to yell cut on time. Oh, there's a
3: big, big class action suit about that, I
2: heard. Yeah, they,
0: did, they didn't even have the common sense to test it on prisoners first.
2: It's, yeah, no, I know it's the, terrible
0: the, tragedy.
3: The late Carl Reiner was involved. <laughs> he, just he, just
2: died. <laughs> he just died. This is why we're doing this.
3: He spearheaded the movement to have that band, I remember. Right. He, did. he ended up cockeyed.
0: When I saw yeah. that car going over the cliff, I don't, that's all I could think about. was <laughs> That's one of my favorite one of my favorite jokes from the well, jerk. A, for sure.
3: A bunch of things stand out about this car crash to me. And one is I didn't know that it was tragic like that. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, so let's go back to the comedy. So um, it seems like when the car goes over the cliff, there's a lot of interesting editing choices in this, in this segment. When the car goes over the cliff, it definitely looks like they're undercranking the film to make it more dynamic and exciting. And I had read that the, the editor did that a few times in this movie. Like he, he To speed up the editing and the pacing of the movie, he, he actually used fast motion in a few scenes and it definitely looks like that. Um, the other thing that stands out to me is the sound of the car crashing. It just, it's, it feels like a cartoon sound effect. It feels like one of those, like, ones you hear over and over again in cartoons. Yeah, I'm like, sure they yeah. got it
1: from a library. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I it's have... probably a library effect.
3: Anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, the point is, <laughs> it sounds cartoonish to me. and It's kind of, it ends up being sort of a comedy scene. Um,
2: well, then. A couple other yeah. things
3: stand out. A couple other things stand out. One is, before the crash, the, um, the rear projection stuff.
2: Yeah, it's terrible.
3: It's, well, yeah. it's. It's unconvincing because, the, <laughs> I mean, it's fine for the era. it's yeah, it's, it's, it's standard era. rear projection. But then they ha- they run into this problem that that I see sometimes where the depth of field of the of the shot doesn't match the depth of field of the uh, projection shot. Yes. So it looks like Bond is being when the car gets close to Bond, it looks like he's being chased by a gigantic car, and it's he's a, hearse. a tiny little man. Right,
2: it, it's a hearse in the first place, so it's already big, it's already and big. because of that depth of field, it suddenly looks like a, you know, a, a SUV, or, you know. Yeah, it,
0: looks like, it yeah. looks like a scene from Duel, or yeah. something. It's like so yeah, much wo- bigger than, yeah. Right, it looks I mean, like the maybe
3: a- audiences at the time would not have really been savvy to that, or noticed it,
0: I don't know. I think it was it, they were very used to it, you know. I just yeah. think that's what you understood as being what movies were and what television shows were. Yeah. In um, the sound effects too. Again, with the sound effects, Mitch, the, there's tires squealing all over that it's, gravel
1: road. Tires on asphalt <laughs> on a dirt road. It doesn't make which any sense. Turn to it on Her Majesty's Secret Service on the beach. Yeah. They do the same thing. It's
0: like tires make the same sound no matter what surface they're on.
3: <laughs> uh, I notice while he's driving, he's just driving along even before the chase comes actually really love the way this scene starts because she's giving him the directions and it dissolves into him following the directions and it's this again it's a really like interesting editing choice that was ahead of its time as far as pacing the movie and I have to say I've never seen this movie before but I watched it for this podcast I had not seen it before I really enjoyed it overall because it's still really watchable today it's very very watchable and I think because some of the pacing of it was very ahead of its time you yeah, can still I watch it and enjoy it.
2: I'm a like stickler for editing. Like for some reason, editing, bad editing, always jumps out for me. And so it's been interesting, you know, hearing you guys talk about and reading about that. This was kind of innovative, you know, editing wise. And it, it certainly makes sense that this, you know, p- pushed forward the faster paced movie where we were getting into an era where it was, to me, was like just right. You know, now we go a little, we're going a little too fast. The editing's a little too crazy. Maybe mm, I'm too. I agree. Up. Yeah, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, this is just this is you know really the pace. Yeah, I, yeah.
3: I especially like the way um, the thing at the beginning where she's she's reading him the directions, but what you see on screen is him later on following the directions, and it reminds me of one of that's like one of my favorite things in a movie, and it's very much like Ocean's Eleven where. Clooney is telling you the plan, but what you see is yeah. them actually carrying out the plan at the same time, yeah. simultaneously. And it's a really neat way of saving screen time and keeping your movie paced really well.
0: It's it's a great way of taking weighty exposition, laborious yeah. exposition, and making it more exciting. Turning for it, for it sure. into action,
3: exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's really very like
0: commonplace that. now. I don't, I know the Lego movie, of all things, I've watched it a lot of times with my son, does the like the entire third act is it kind of begins with the plan so the plan starts and then the next thing you know you're like wait a minute i'm in the second i'm i'm almost at the end of yeah, the movie they're, they're doing because the they did it yeah. so well uh, i noticed
3: that i also noticed that while, but while he's driving the the theme starts to play yeah. the james bond theme starts yeah. to play and it often i noticed watching the movie it often plays when he's doing nothing it often plays when he's just well, sitting it's there
2: an- it's it's Well, it's anticipating that he's about to be in right. danger. little bit right? so
3: that music, that... little bit of a that's the of a little bit of a
0: little bit of because yeah. there's also a scene of him walking through the hotel lobby and it's playing and he just gets a message, right, right. you know? I don't know. It's like filler. Know. It feels more like filler to me. That's why I was saying earlier that I I'm know. so sick of it already. Like, say, why, why have it here and then why not save it for the doorway? You know, because when he gets to Mistaro's doorway, it plays again. To me, that, um, for better or worse, cues something more about James Bond. It's like, okay, here's James Bond theme, theme because he's about to really be James Bond right now. As he, yeah, but, uh, as he goes to seduce this yeah, woman. and uh, I don't know. But I
1: think that they were compensating for a score that wasn't great. Yeah. And um, John Barry was hired to orchestrate that score. In fact, you know, I, I just found out from some other research that in those previous minutes when he smashes the uh, spider with his shoe and the music, you know, follows each beat of him smashing down on the spider... Again, that was Peter Hunt apparently in studio with John Barry who was in to orchestrate and and asked him to do those stings. Mm. And and they oh, did okay. it on the fly. Mm. And so, so they Mickey Mouse James Bond? Of, mm-hmm. They Mickey Mouse James Bond. Wow. Yeah.
3: If you could have worked um Ronald McDonald or Jesus Christ in there, you'd have <laughs> you'd have a lot of icons in one scene. <laughs>
1: did did you guys know who was in the hearse?
2: Uh it, uh, as far as which character,
1: yeah.
2: Um, yeah, you mean
3: who's driving? I'm kind of forgetting yeah. now. Yeah, it's the it's the three blind assassins, right?
1: I, I yeah, think supposed I, to think I, that's that. What, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's not very clear, but it's since we've seen their hearse earlier on, we that's have I to assume, assume who who was, was yeah, that's yeah. Who yeah. Was those yeah. guys from the how, beginning. Yeah, I got to pay them off somehow. But I I really had never thought about it before. And
0: it's an interesting choice not to give us one shot. You know, just one shot of them in the car. Yeah. It makes you wonder because Connery, certainly the rear projection, all this stuff was done at Pinewood, correct, Mitch? So you don't have the three blind mice at Pinewood.
1: You don't have them in. You're not going to fly them in. They did obviously fly a couple of people in. And apparently this was all made up On, yeah. on during production that Terrence Young decided they needed another action sequence in between him getting up to leaving and getting up to Miss Taro's place. And so it was improvised and, and cooked up. So you know who
2: the real person, you know who the real driver is, right? I think I heard this on a track, a comments track. Of the hearse? Yeah. Or yeah, it's the guy. It's the guy who then says what, the, 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 the construction worker.
1: Really? That guy? Yeah. I don't think so. I thought that guy was an actual real construction worker who was on the set. And they, and they paid him 10 bucks to come up and say, um, uh, what happened? And then they no, realized he, that was the wrong he, thing. And so they had to overdub him later see, because it got such a laugh. He says, and so Peter in h- the
3: movie, he says, how did it happen? That,
1: yeah. see, how did it happen? Yeah. And that's an overdub because initially he said, what yeah. happened? And they said that didn't play at all. And so they had to overdub But I
3: that. believe he's a real guy because the way he just strolls up and kind of, he just watched three guys die in a car crash, <laughs> a fiery, spectacular car crash and yeah. he says how did it happen it's that, and i think he's he must be a local because that is the characteristic jamaican laid back attitude so.
0: that, <laughs> i i totally disagree with the overdub decision too Wait, how is how did that happen better than what happened is a nice general thing like if something shocking happens you go yeah. what happened Saying, how did it happen? Well, he just saw how it happened. The car yeah. went off the side of the road. Well, he just saw common. what happened, too. Well, no, but, but Mitch, yeah. when you, how many times have you said what happened when you know full well? What, it's an, that's a responsive question. You know, yeah. what happened? Like when know. somebody says, oh, my dad died. What happened? You know? I don't know. Uh, to me, it was weird. But then I also think Connery's, I think Bonds, they, they could have tweaked that a little bit better. Because I just don't like th- the line Bonzo's. they were going to a funeral. Is that what he says? I, I,
2: think, I think they were on
0: their way to a funeral.
2: Yeah, it's, I it's think a, they were it, on. It's a it's a fake joke. You know, it's yeah. it's supposed to be a joke, but it's not really a joke. But you would on at first glance, you're like, yeah, yeah, that's a joke. And then when you think I, about but, it, you're like, no, it's yeah. it's actually not. You know, but it, it was and, improvised.
0: And it got a laugh. I mean, I could see it being more likely. The one thing
1: we know is he's not. He's, an actor. That's what I was going to say.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not an actor. because I can't quite tell. He almost seems like he's he's smiling, which is weird. It's like this kind of half-smile yeah. he's got going on. And then so when we hold on him as Bond walks away, it seems like he thinks that the joke is funny. And and then to me, that doesn't work either. Because I just don't think uh, – you know, Bond might be that kind of person. But your everyday guy is that you go, Haha, yeah, I like jokes about – dead people that just died that are burning to death down there i just don't think that
3: place. he should have he should have said you monster <laughs> he should have he it's
2: should have monster. at least gone like
3: oh no heartless bastard
2: back then death was more eh you know you die yeah people, 1962 people died. Life was cheap. Yeah, car crashes life was cheap. <laughs> nobody wears seatbelts people were dying left and right <laughs> and that's
3: and God, a good man point. how can you make an off-the-cuff <laughs> quip at a time like this
2: <laughs> we're a bunch of pansies
1: They were so afraid that all of this death and destruction was going to get them into big trouble with the censors. And so they decided from the get-go that they were going to try to add funny lines all through production. And that was, again, a decision made really on the way to the... Flying on the plane, he said. He and Connery said, "We have got to find ways to live in this. Becomes, up because censors kill it, and, yeah. and yeah. You know, nobody's going to like so, it anyway."
0: Censors so. so. like devaluing <laughs> life; they don't like taking <laughs> loss of life seriously.
1: That's, right. That's true. <laughs> it's so true. no,
3: I totally get it. It makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that totally yeah. takes the edge off. Absolutely. I think the most impressive thing I think about James Bond is that he found his way to Miss Tarot's place. So I, there's no way I would have ever found that house. <laughs> <laughs> Driving it's just through one road. unfamiliar, <laughs> it's one unfamiliar road. roads in the middle of a foreign yeah, country. Yeah, how many ro-
2: how many roads are crawling along the edge of that mountain, though?
3: No GPS. Come on, I would have never found it. I was imp- I'm impressed every time.
2: So it was around this time. I, now again, I don't know where I got this from, but the governor of the, 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 the governor visited. Is that <laughs> does you have that story? Okay. Yeah,
1: I know. Yes, this, yes, the this story where the governor. You
2: know yeah. it better than me. So go ahead.
1: Well, the story was is that the governor from the from Nass- from the Bahamas came to visit the set, um. and with his wife, and it was this day, and Connery had taken his trousers off to cool off, and he supposedly stood up and walked over to like introduce himself, not either not realizing or taking great pleasure in the fact that he didn't. And have it
2: was a off. female governor, right?
1: And it was a female the governor's <laughs> wife. Oh, okay. Governor and Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah,
0: I think that's – isn't that on the band commentary? I, th- I think, is, yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard that story before. And I'm not sure – at what level of pantslessness is he? I'm, I'm assuming there's some boxer shorts
1: here. Terrence Young says he's not even wearing a jacket. That's strap, what so I thought he
0: mean, said, and he just can't, I just can't imagine that being true. But I guess that's that's unbelievable. But, oh, I see no. Swing I, is, I see nothing wrong, wrong. Swing in sixties. <laughs> well, I see nothing wrong. Well, we don't swing in
2: sixties. So we're dealing with for. right now. I mean, uh, another. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I
3: have another piece of trivia that stood out for me when I when I looked it up, which was that apparently the photographer Bunny Yeager visited the set to do a photo shoot with Ursula Andress, and I thought, could anything be more nineteen sixties? Could you even think of anything that was more? The epitome of the 1960s is how many of those elements? Bunny Yeager, Ursula Andress, the set of a James Bond movie, all of that together.
1: (laughs) uh, And John Derrick.
3: And John Derrick, who was, I guess, showed up on the set to to see how things were going or to make sure he was like a... Jealous guy. Yeah, wasn't he, was,
1: he was taking pictures too. So he oh yeah, showed up great. and that yeah. made a photo deal. Well,
2: who? It's not
0: yeah. B- Bunny Yeager who took the shots of her with the stuffed bunny, is it? Have you ever seen those promotional pictures of Ursula Andress no. with a stuffed no, rabbit? I yeah, I, I. You say that name and I went. Well, it can't be that on the nose, but there are a bunch I, of phono- p- promotional it photos. Have but a, you, Hefner tie in somehow? Yeah, maybe, I don't
3: know. Maybe yeah. a Playboy tie in somehow.
1: Yeah, no, I've never seen that. I was wondering whether you noticed that long walk that he takes up to her house. Mm.
2: It's,
1: it's kind of like slow cinema. It's 25 steps and they just stay with him the entire time as he no cuts, no nothing. Just here he is. Let's watch him walk for 25 steps. It's pretty interesting. It's compelling.
2: Well, maybe the, man
1: could, the man could walk.
2: Maybe they're making the point that she wouldn't have seen him in his car, you know, which comes up later.
0: Be, it, that could be, too. And yeah. again, though, it also reminds me, we bring up North by Northwest a lot on this show, and it reminds me of of Hitchcock just taking, taking a bit of that movie and having Cary Grant walk, walk across the uh, – is it the Plaza Hotel? I can't remember which hotel it is, but uh just having Cary Grant walk across the lobby when he could have very well just had him arrive at the Oak Bar, you know? So – I'm wondering if they aren't thinking. Well, Connery's the Cary Grant here. There's always this little tie-in with Cary Grant and him originally being the desired uh, James Bond. I don't know. It just makes me think of that, at least.
3: By the way, I think Cary Grant uh, as James Bond would have been sort of like in the '70s when the studios wanted to cast Robert Redford as Superman, or right, or or as Michael Corleone. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they. You know they, they. it just would have been wrong to have a big star in this role they were they knew yeah. they were d- starting a series that they knew this wasn't going to be a one and done right
1: that's why Cary yeah. grant turned it down because R- he wasn't going to sign for more than one picture right
3: right that's what I, yeah that's what i read and it just would have been there if they're 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 trying to create this this new iconic character it has to be an unknown actor it just would have been wrong to have somebody who was already a big star step into this role i think
0: Yeah, and Connery was largely unknown
3: at the time. Yeah, yeah. I think, well, was was he too old at the time, maybe?
0: Who's that, Cary Grant? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, if you watch Charade, I I love Charade, but he's too old for Charade. I mean, it's kind of of silly, him and Audrey Hepburn, and even she's not super young at the time. But even then, you're like, man, is this guy really the guy for this? You know, he's Cary Grant, though. He could pull off an awful lot, even at his older age, but...
3: Well, this is why Daniel Craig doesn't want to do it anymore cuz he's like 55 or something like that now and I think it's and I think it's why I think Idris Elba is uh, not a good choice because he's already like 55 at this point. It's enormous he's, work
2: to be James Bond. You know, yeah. I mean yeah, Daniel Craig yeah. has talked about that where I mean it's enormous work, you know, you you know he has to be tight as a drum, you know, and you, you when you get that age it's it's just you have to you know, it's practice martial arts and you know the whole thing. It's a really incredible physical ordeal obviously.
3: Yeah, whereas I am only 54, so I'm still take, a candidate for the role. Take note, uh, oh, yeah. Barbara
0: Broccoli listens to the show,
3: I'm sure, so take note, Barbara. <laughs> I, <laughs> I find it fascinating. This it, It's sort of funny to me that Connery, who was mostly unknown at the time, what <laughs> supposedly got the role on the strength of his role in Darby O'Gill and the Little yes. People, which... If you've ever seen Darby O'Gill and the little people I don't know if you've talked about it on this show yet but it is a mind fuck it is one of the the great Disney fever dreams of all time. Yeah. it is it's a crazy movie yeah it's it's a complete baffling insane frightening nightmare acid trip yeah. of a movie that was made in 1959 I think or 58 uh, and and by the way, Sean Connery is not even the star of that movie. He plays a small role in the film. He's not. He's neither Darby O'Gill nor the little people. <laughs> he's, none the, he's none of the title characters. Um, it's basically about this this uh, uh, drunken Irishman who claims to see leprechauns, but he but he does really see leprechauns. Um, and at some point, um, noted noted Irishman Sean Connery appears uh, as the romantic lead in or the romantic uh, interest. Uh, of his daughter i think that's what happened yes yes that's what happened (laughs) (laughs) someone else someone else
2: amazing is in that wait uh darby o'gill the guy who played um the drunk in the exorcist is in that too i believe oh yeah interesting okay (laughs) yeah
3: it's 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 a really disturbing film with some of the best special effects of the era that you can see and it's worth it's it's like a it's like a ray harryhausen movie yeah Total shit, but the special effects are amazing, <laughs> and you you want to watch it for the the incredible special effects they did. They did these incredible force perspective and camera tricks to make the the leprechauns look like leprechauns, and and Disney even tried to pass it off as we found real leprechauns and put them in the movie. Why he didn't not? Want the actors playing the leprechauns to be credited in any way, <laughs> and they did a TV special which I think Sean Connery appeared in, where they had Disney talking to some of the leprechauns about making the movie directly, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh so it's completely, completely insane and, and, and completely crazy movie. And, and also, uh, conti- continuing uh, SSC's uh, wait, wait, wait! Let be, me just
2: say Jack McGowan is oh, the yes. person I was trying to think of, and he's Jack in McGowan, okay. a couple of Polanski movies too. He's in *Fearless Vampire Killers*. He's a—he's just uh, such a great character actor. Anyway, go ahead.
3: Oh, okay. I do. And what is he in *The Exorcist*? Again? He's the
2: drunk director.
1: He's Burke Danny.
2: Yeah. Oh, right, right. He, right. he calls okay. everyone a Nazi. Okay. He's so great, so great.
3: Yeah, and is he a leprechaun in *Darby and or is I, he one of the uh, one of the townsfolk? I think he might. One of the kindly townsfolk. It probably. Yeah, don't, don't. but it was also it was also the movie that began SSC's uh, time honor tradition of never ever ever, 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 changing his accent for a role. <laughs> right, never ever changing his accent. He. So he's a Scottish he's Irishman. A Scot- Irishman. He's a Scottish Irishman. He's a Scottish Englishman. He's, he's a Scottish s- Russian. He's no matter what he Scottish is. Got a Spaniard? He's, yeah, he's a Scottish. S- uh,
1: Scottish Arab. Got a
3: shot twice. I'm the bloody mufti of all the Arabs. <laughs> Are they, that, oh, um, that's Eugene Levy doing uh, right. doing him on SCTV <laughs> when they did a parody of uh, of Lawrence of the of Arabia, and it was and, Sh- and Sir Sean Connery as the mufti. Was, I'm the bloody mufti of all the Arabs. Uh, yeah, so Sean, Sir Sean Connery does not does not change his accent, and he's a big enough star that he doesn't need to. No, nope. ever. They the movie needs to re write it into the script to explain why he has a Scots accent.
0: I have. It's never once bothered me. I I've, and I've watched Hunt for Red October like fifty times, and <laughs> it just doesn't bother me. He's supposed to be Russian. Eh. I mean, it's better than Harrison Ford trying to do the Russian accent and uh, well, K nineteen. You know, yeah, yeah. Well,
3: <laughs> so, you know that. Um, Harrison Ford doing, doing uh, Sean Connery's accent in, uh, in, uh, right, uh, in The Last, last Crusade, crusade yeah. when he, you know, pretend, tries to pretend to be a Scottish lord, the reason it doesn't work is he's doing Sean Connery's accent, not a Scottish accent. And therein lies the problem. Sean <laughs> Connery not only has the, does not change his accent, but he's the only person with that accent. Yeah. Nobody else. No one in Scotland sounds like him. Trust me. I've been to the UK. No Scottish person sounds like Sean Connery except Sean Connery. He's the only one who talks that
0: way.
1: Well, shall we move to Miss Taro and uh, and and the fun to come? Oh yes. oh, yes.
0: So yeah. So like we said, he arrives at the door and the and the Bond theme kicks in again. Um, and she's surprised to see him, and he sees that she's surprised to see him.
2: She's in heels. She just got out of the shower and she's in stiletto heels and a and full makeup. She, and she showers a... with lipstick and mascara on. Right.
0: And her hair is supposed to be wet, but it doesn't really look wet to me. Yeah. Maybe on the edges. And then that towel that she's okay, am I wrong? It's not a towel, because that's a zipper. I'm so confused it's... by her.
2: It's a bodice
0: thing whatever she's
2: wearing. I think this was a real thing from the 50s and 60s that was you know a lot more common back then where it's this fake it looks like you're wearing it's 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 a it's like you're wrapping a towel around yourself except it's actually a zip-up dress um that is made out of towel and so you would have got that at a hotel and you know that kind of thing I think it was kind of in back then but completely impractical and no 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 mystery why nobody really makes them anymore. Why right. do
3: they make these things for women? Why do they torture women with things like this?
2: <laughs> well, you know, why is she wearing stiletto heels? Because you're a woman <laughs> from 1960s, uh, early 60s. Um, yeah, and at one point he says, uh, he's complimenting her hair. And it's like, no, that's that's terrible, terrible wig. That wig is <laughs> terrible. terrible. Wig. It, like, what was going on there? Like, what were they? What, who, who was responsible for that? Were they fired? I mean, they should have been.
1: yeah. Not much of a budget, yeah, From hair and makeup, <laughs> and uh, trying to make somebody look Chinese. Oh not. gosh, yeah. Well, that makes you so, it
0: makes you ask the question though. If there's not much uh, money for hair and makeup, do you have an entire like dialogue scene where you're pointing at the hair, like, "Hey, here's a terrible wig. Let's talk about it on screen." <laughs> As we I don't know. To me, it's like maybe you yeah. deflect to distract from that. But then again, well, speak, Bond speak wouldn't have that super clever. You're living dangerously. You might die of pneumonia. Line, which is just a little, a little labored. That one. Well,
1: before they get into the bedroom, I just want to say one thing about that set. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because it's 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 extraordinary what he does, what Ken Adam does with that set and those three splashes of red that are in a triangle. Yeah. Right. There's a uh, there's some flowers. There's the the tassels off of the the light, and then there's a garment thrown over there, and it's just this perfect triangle that she walks into, and then it's a pan. To show the other side of the set, which looks totally different. I mean, it's all it's beautifully designed because you get like double, double the the goods in a single pan. I'm sure Barry Sonnenfeld wouldn't approve of that pan, no. but anyway, it's but it's it's yeah. it, the set is just this wonderful creation of teak and bed oh, elements. and the
2: bed. I am dying, dying. I would kill for that bed. I mean, that is just a gorgeous little yeah. thing.
3: Um, now, this is this is an interior set at Pinewood, right?
1: That's right. Okay. Yeah.
2: And John's, James Bond movies often have amazing beds, which I guess is, I've just noticed that, you know, because I've been sort of binging on James Bond over the last couple of weeks. And often I'm just like, whoa, that bed, you know, so they really, <laughs> Ken Adams, <laughs> Ken Adams was very, I mean, it's such a great, it, it makes sense, you know, it, it goes with the, the the theme of James Bond, you, you know, ladies yeah. man, and he puts that time into having these gorgeous, very romantic beds you just want to get into, you know, <laughs> and
1: nobody was showing two people in bed up at the up to this point. And so this was pretty radical for the for the time. She's she sits on the bed, but once when he pulls her over for the second big kiss, her feet are off the floor and she's sure. in the bed and that's that's a big no-no. The production code uh, says you're not supposed to be able to do that and they they just they got away with a lot of stuff because the British censors were actually at that time a tiny bit easier on sex than the american censors were the violence was the other way around the americans could get away with more violence and so that was where the problems with the british censors would always would always come
3: now this scene kind of sets up one of the other iconic elements of james bond which is he could arrest her just right right there but he doesn't
0: no that's where we get to bed first this is a whole topic of conversation right we gotta (laughs) uh so one thing that i would say okay so we get she's shocked that he's there because she thinks he should have died on the way there she expected him to die on the way there um she has to play it cool with him he's he knows that she's obviously she he knows that she's a villain so he's going to play her a little bit now why i'm we could talk about why bond is playing his game exactly whether there's a strategic uh, move here or he could just taking advantage of the situation but she moves into the bedroom to take a phone call or to call well she takes the phone call and uh, she's tasked with the job of keeping him there for a couple of hours, right?
3: Right.
0: Now, let's say Miss Taro is, is, is more of an archetypal femme fatale. She would have been the one to do the seducing here. She's the one that's tasked with the job here of keeping him there <laughs> for two hours. Yet, the power dynamic's still all on bond somehow, and yeah. he's somehow willing to stay there for two. I, I mean, he has to know that he's in danger by being there. He has to know he's in danger by her That's being I wondered. Having just talked to somebody on the phone, surely that's a dain- that's a red well, flag.
2: I think he wants to meet whoever it is that's supposed to come to assassinate him. Like that's part of it. He wants right. that assassin to come so he could off the sure. assassin. Okay, so yep. that's part of it. But right. I think also he, as Bond, wants to bed this woman, and you know, so there's a, first of all, this is the first woman in all of Bond history, right? That is a Bond girl. isn't, isn't that right? Well,
0: so it's
3: the first woman he he hate bangs.
0: Yeah, because it, yeah, yeah, he had silvery, Sylvia Trench earlier, but they didn't okay. consummate. Yes, you're right, you know?
2: You're right, Sylvia Trench. Well, or did it, they? No. They yeah.
0: yeah,
3: they did. Never Very, quick, oh, very they probably, quickly they, before he had a head yeah. to his flight, Yeah, they. You're, and, right, you're bang, right. bang, bang, and that was it. You're right, I'm sure he, probably, it's implied that he, yeah. he did. You're right, yes, you're, yeah. you're
1: right. Yeah, he checks his watch. He checks both times. He's very conscious of the time, Mr. Bond.
3: But this, I mean, this is the first woman where it's like she's she's trying to kill him. Or have him killed right. and he takes her to bed anyway before he like kills her or sends her to the authorities which is kind of a thing he does um, well and on yeah.
1: Joe and you know I noticed that I, this just occurred to me last week this is not only that but there are no black widows like this in the books I, st- I went back and went through all the books and there's not one book where there's this beautiful young woman who's the who's the femme fatale who's gonna do James Bond in but they recur again and again in the films so yeah. this is an so addition to movie. the but, to, i don't think it's an addition
0: she's not much of a for black widow though like well, i just said that she does the, the black widow yeah, would have she's the power a middle, in she's this. A i
2: in think this. part of it is the actress because according to you know what i've read about her she was very hesitant to do this entire scene and she didn't want to have to in the end spit in his face and you know she was a little nervous about the whole thing and so they added a lot of humor to it to make her more comfortable with it but i have a feeling if you had a different actress and i mean she was like friends with the director and that's why she got the part of apparently. Um, if they had had a more, an actress who was way more into this concept, I think she, they would have changed the dialogue a little bit because she literally, clearly, it's almost a Me Too questionable scene, you know, where you're kind of like, does she want to, does she want to sleep with him? Because she's like, I'd rather just sit here and do my nails and cook you Chinese food. That's She's trying to, she's trying to buy time by you know preening herself and offering to make him food and he's clearly you know on the make and like we're going to take this two hours and we're going to sleep together um i wouldn't you know i wouldn't red flag this there's way worse bonds <laughs> things to worry about sure. yes. beyond this yeah, scene yeah. so right, i you but- know and i also think you know it's interesting to think about to consider so female spies you know um, is it part of their job, you know, it, and it is, if you if this world is real and there are these kinds of spies, it would be part of her job to sleep with him, you know, like that would be what they would expect of her. And, you know, kind of the, it's, it's sort of interesting to think about that. And then you start to think about, you know, Mata Hari and all these other amazing, famous female spies who really did exist, you know, so it's interesting.
0: I just, I'm just thinking, you know, it's more interesting if she's the one that does the seducing, but, I mean, to me, it's like she's the one with the agency here, like this very specific mission. Keep him here for two hours. I mean, maybe he wants it too, but it's some kind of playfulness here or anything where it's not just him unzipping her and, oh, no hands. And then immediately puts his hands on her and pulls her in, and she doesn't really seem to have any power or any, I don't know. To me, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, it's not something to cri- he criticize per se. He yeah, like- and he – he right, moves but- his arm around and looks at his watch. The
3: classic yes. Dick yeah. move. That was great. Which, if it were today, would he be looking at his phone?
2: Right, he pulls her. He pulls <laughs> her on he, Twitter. He, he pull, <laughs> just so the audience says he pulls her down for a kiss, and she kind of pulls her down into the bed. And then as he's kissing her, and he's waiting for the taxi to arrive, so he's called for a taxi, and um, he looks at his watch, which is very you know, just dismissive of the fact that he's about to make love with this woman. But yeah, I think I really do think, you know, just seems to me, I kept reading when I was reading about this, that she didn't really, she was very hesitant to to do the scene. So I think it might have been more the actress playing it this way. And so therefore they had to sort of write it this way. Um, She probably didn't want to play the seductress or wasn't, maybe wasn't good at it. You know,
0: this is the kind of thing where if you went hey, do, are you a bigger fan of James Bond or are you a bigger fan of like classic film noir? I'm going to take film noir every time because I think that they at least... Barbara Stanwyck isn't playing this scene this way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. to me, it's just... It's not that I'm saying they should have done it this way necessarily. It's that I just... This is one of the things where I, Bond loses me a little bit as, a, as its own genre where I'm like this is uh, these scenes we spend these times on these scenes and I'm just not that into the guy has all the power in the scene that's just not a very interesting thing to me. Mm-hmm. So and I'm sure it isn't I'm sure a lot of people don't like James Bond for this very reason. These are the things that turn them off even if they don't know it.
2: I heard you guys talking about um, Miss um, Miss Moneypenny that they that it's so great the way they portray her in this movie where she's clearly just like yeah we've been together we've done it and we're now pals and we joke around about it. And in the future, because I then watched, um, I went all the way, jumped to uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and and, and she's crying because he's getting married. And it is, it's really sad that they, they switched that dynamic there. Because it was yeah. that was very cool that she was. So yeah, I agree. Um, but um, let me just also, uh, we should point out one beautiful shot here where she's doing her nails. And you see the mirror and the reflection. They, they catch Bond lying in bed, like with a toothpick in yeah. his hand. And it's such a beautiful shot. It's, it's just like one of those stills that should be um, highlighted. You know, it's just a gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous framing.
1: And they, they can both be the object of the gaze in that shot. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. they're both presented in a very fetishistic way that's really interesting. Yeah. Well, he, I noticed he,
3: you see him with his shirt off. And he, he's not built the way a leading man, would, an action hero, would need to be built now. Not He's now, yeah. built like a normal man, whereas you know nowadays, uh, you know, you're like your Dwayne Johnsons or your uh, Aquaman, well, or even, that your, Daniel, even or your Daniel, even your Daniel Craig, yeah, yeah. yeah, Daniel Craig Daniel now who's yeah. like impossibly, you know, ripped uh, in this superhuman kind of way where, uh, you know, but in the at, back then and you know uh, uh, he could look like a fairly normal human being.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there was definitely a different ideal like uh, body type back then. Yeah, I think they yeah. just. Well, I mean, Connery was a bodybuilder, right, Mitch? Uh, uh, yeah. So Even you then. would think you would think yeah. he'd be a little bit more, but we haven't gotten to that Schwarzenegger era quite yet. We're a few years away from the Schwarzeneggerian era of yeah. uh, of uh, bodybuilding, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the cut to, isn't there yet. You know. I don't know if you know this, but I'm planning on
3: a remake of this film. I'm working on uh, right now. Uh, it's called Doctor Nah Nah and it takes place in it takes place in jamaica queens okay so, that's going to be really something i mean sort of slightly lower budget than before but still still very exciting that still sounds very great we, we set, well set also great.
2: let you say that this this whole scene with her took three days to shoot which is kind of surprising um, again, she was very, she, like, from what I've read, you know, she was very, she, I don't know, they, they should have picked, I think they should have picked a different actress. I think she was, she's not a great, you know, she didn't do a great job with the um, the dialogue. You know, when she's faking it, she sounds very contrived. You know, she, she's a terrible spy, basically. She's a a god-awful spy. Oh, he just walked in the room. Yes, I, uh, well, I have to go <laughs> now, you know, and, and uh, all that. Oh, what, you're ordering? Oh, that's why you had, didn't have a car. Oh, you know, and, and like, she's just not... She's not, she's making a lot of mistakes. She sounds, she's just a terrible spy. She's a terrible spy. Yeah. Um And it's really because her acting's terrible. <laughs>
0: Pretty, well, not very good. another thing, you know, I, I've been nitpicking the detective work and the spy work through this movie so far. And if you're a spy, you probably check who's at the door before you open the door yeah i think that's a real simple you look out the window and make sure that it's not going to be the person you thought was supposed to be dead and then you give away that you thought they were going to be dead with your face i mean there's just a lot of bad spy work going on here i mean i i think i agree with you and they certainly could have found someone else to play the role Uh, preferably someone of some kind of chinese descent would have been nice yeah Um,
3: Sort of, sort of stands out. Well, that stands out to us now. At the yeah. at the time, it was something that nobody even blinked an eye about. And that you might
2: know? be why they felt like they were stuck with her, you know, because she did. I mean, I don't know how easy it was to get Chinese actors in that age. You know, it wasn't like nowadays. Every there's millions of people who want to act and who are in Hollywood. And I, but you know, she I certainly. Was,
3: ha- I think it was not impossible. But
2: she has that. I know. I, I agree. But you know, she certainly has that look. Um, where, you know, she would have been, you would have chosen her if you wanted to do a fake Chinese person. You know, she has a, there's something about her features that are a little bit different than just strict Caucasian features.
1: Her whole career was playing non-English characters. She played Italians and she played Egyptians and she played all sorts of character types.
0: Yeah, she definitely has a look. I mean, I I could see it in that age when it was par for the course to make someone up to look like a different ethnicity. I could see her, yeah, she's got a, 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 hate, use the word exoticness but that's kind of the word they would have used back
1: then so so next is the spit right yeah so next is this the walking out which is interesting it's like there's only two shots there's like one master that goes over and looks down through the car that covers bond and then they do they turn it around for one close-up of her so it's kind of amazing how much again just the economy of of terence young's direction
0: yeah, so she's pretty easily fooled here too, right?
3: She was easy to catch. Yeah, <laughs> she yeah. seems. This is
0: the. Other thing. I think that she'd be a little bit more careful about just getting into a car, especially because she knows he's the villain. <laughs> you know, or her to her, she, he's a villain. She, she knows that he is an adversary. Why would she just like gleefully get in the car? Does she think he's Here's dumb? Here's why.
3: Here's why. Here's why. Because it's SSC. Because she's still uh, somewhere in inside swooning.
0: I guess that's right. maybe isn't what we're that, supposed to be. Isn't thinking. that what we're supposed
3: to think? It's yeah. that all of this misogynistic behavior is uh, is um, tacitly approved of by the by these women because it's this guy.
2: Right. And again, she doesn't deliver in that being a woman who would be, you know, is all dazzled by him. She doesn't really deliver that. But I think that is what we're supposed to assume. I, I agree with that.
0: Yeah, you're right. She probably she doesn't really deliver it. But. Everything about her performance is a little confusing. Yeah, yeah. Because I don't think she's quite hitting the notes, any of the notes she's supposed to be hitting.
2: Yeah.
1: John, is that the incompetent police chief that's in the car? You know what? I think it is. Or is it a different guy? I think it is. No. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to tell. I
0: think it is referred to, that character is the supervisor, right? The guy who doesn't. Yeah. The guy who doesn't know who Coral is, even though every person, every all the ladies yeah, on the beach guy. know who Coral is. <laughs> yeah, I think that's him. So he probably didn't even realize. Uh, he probably didn't even realize he was picking up a, a anyone. He thought, well, he wants a car. Let's go. And
1: he's like, oh. But now he's solved the case. He's copying <laughs> yeah, down He's, he's like, collar.
0: Who's this? Let's. Uh, I'll catch you up on it later, supervisor. <laughs> he's a little slow on the uptake.
3: I like the way James Bond goes back into the house, and he looks like he's getting ready for a date to come over. Yeah. I mean, suppose that's it's what, what it's like. What you do when you're expecting like somebody who you're
0: interested in c- to come over for dinner? Yeah, he's expecting who, a, you know, an assassin. He's making it look yeah. like he just had a date. The whole idea, you know, being like, it's supposed to look like they were making out on the couch, right? Right. Yeah. And then they moved yeah. it into the bedroom, so he draws the, the assassin into the bedroom. And this is very reminiscent in the way it's framed up and everything of the hotel room where he's. Sets up, you know, the the spittle covered hair and the talcum powder on the, on the briefcase. It's just another. Here's Bond doing super low fi spy stuff. Like this is no gadgets yet, nothing. He's just doing spy stuff. He's thinking through what's gonna make it look like, uh, what I want it to look like, so that I can get the guy to come where I want him to come. And it's like, well, and we do it in one, no, in a wonder again, yep yeah.
3: one, a big wonder. He's the yeah. oh, well, the world's greatest spy. Yeah,
0: yeah, he knows he knows to pour one glass mostly full and the other glass half full so it looks you know very realistically uh, yeah. drunk yeah he's excellent spy that's what you only learn that in spy school <laughs> yeah.
3: i should mention yeah i should mention that in my uh, remake dr nah that takes place in jamaica queens the world's greatest spy is joey baboots and uh his uh, famous uh, line uh, when he introduces himself is to say hey i'm joey baboots the world's greatest spy right so yeah. very much like james because- bond The spying has uh, advanced greatly from uh, James Bond's era. When James Bond came up, of course, in the British Secret Service, he was taught, always tell people your real name all the time uh, at every opportunity. And now uh, they've advanced that to say, not only tell them who you are, but tell them you're a spy as well. Yes. And that's what Joey Baboots does, and that's why he is now the world's greatest spy. Uh, (laughs) Joey Baboots will return in
0: Dr. Nah. Oh, is, wait, the sequel's also called Dr. Nair? or it's right. just, uh, yes, okay. yes. <laughs> yeah. We're too lazy to come up with another it,
3: We're making it twice just to, in case it's bad the first time, which is likely.
0: Good point, good point. Yes. I,
3: I did an interesting thing. I thought that it would be nice to bookend the first James Bond movie with the most recent one. And since I haven't really seen most of the ones in between, I went and watched Spectre from uh, 2015 to sort of compare and contrast the Ouch. two and I didn't hate it it was a perfectly entertaining goofball of a movie you know it's it's what I kind of expected it to be yeah I thought it was um, fine you know you watched it too yeah I did yeah what did you think
2: I thought it was fine I, I you know I think it was fine I I liked it I liked, Dan- I liked Daniel fine. Craig You know, I do think these action sequences have gotten, you know, uh, I mean, uh, the editing is a little too crazy and it's a little too unrealistic, but of course it's better than Pierce Brosnan it, jumping into an airplane. You yeah. know, I mean, there's there's always... I mean,
3: they're competing with Jason Bourne yeah. and Ethan Hunt at this point. And so Bond is almost a little bit
1: obsolete at this but
2: point. But you got to love Daniel Craig. you, you so got to love Daniel That's
0: Craig. what I was going to
1: say. I, it's too long. I it's, love Daniel too Craig, long. too. But, yeah. God, three hours. I, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the economy of this one. I was going to say, oh, yeah. Joe,
0: I might have agreed with you about it being, oh, well, I could, it's fine, it's goofy and fun. Except goofy and fun cannot be three hours long. I mean, to me, once, yeah, true. once you true. hit that yeah, time, it's like goofy and fun has a shelf Life. Yeah.
3: yeah. I mean I like I like sort of Daniel Craig sort of doing Bond as a kind of an empty guy and you know this I call him Craig Daniels cuz that's even more boring <laughs> than Daniel Craig and the whole like like I read that Fleming's original conception of Bond that he's a, he's a really uninteresting person and that's why he chose this very generic name for him and So there's some interesting sort of parallels to Spectre and Dr. No, which is there's a similar progression of events up to a point where, you know, Bond is aware that there's this Mr. Big guy and he's trying to track him down. And along the way, Mr. Big keeps sending people to kill him, which doesn't work. So that's that happens in both films. And then he finds Mr. Big's lair. And he shows up with this girl he's picked up along the way. And there's a whole, we've been expecting you, Mr. Bond, that whole scene. And they show him to the lavish accommodations for him and the girl, which in the case of Dr. No, there's no way he could have been expecting the girl. The girl was just some rando he <laughs> met on the beach that, and yet he shows up as well, oh, we've been expecting the both of you. Really? What, this girl I just met, you were expecting her and you even have her dress size already? <laughs> but they do that exact same thing happens in, in Spectre. And then, of course, he, they show him to his big grand meeting with Mr. Big, who is Blofeld in that case. And, uh, and they have a heart-to-heart all about how, you know, um, all about what they think of each other and what their various plans are and why Bond is wrong and why he's going to die, which he, which he won't. Um, and also the bad guy's wearing a Nehru jacket, always off. Niru jacket why always so well, the, like there's there's points where i was like oh am I And they squander the of, the, they
2: squander the cat i mean they they just don't hit hit that cat heart. You, you know never, you got to have it right the, you got to have it every
3: the... screenwriting book i've ever read don't squander don't the cat
2: squander. don't squander the cat, <laughs> don't squander the cat. <laughs> so i'm going to write a book no. called don't squander the cat
3: no um exactly so but i do i mean you also you like in uh Doctor, no. You you get to see where James Bond lives, Inspector. You get to see his apartment, and I liked the one Inspector better because his like his boxes are unpacked. It hasn't been unpacked. He's got his his he hasn't hung up his pictures on the wall yet. And Money Penny comes over and says, "Have you just moved in, James?" Because you know he's just an uninteresting guy. He's a meaningless sort of a cipher of a man. And I think there's a part Inspector where the the leading lady says to him so if you weren't doing this what would you do and he just says oh, i don't know. That's his answer he be- he literally just goes oh, i don't know. <laughs> like he you know he's nothing uh you know he's kind of a nobody i kind of like that interpretation of, of yeah. the character um the other the other impression i had is like after, i thought wow after all these years every single james bond movie it sticks to this rigid rigid formula very very rigid formula never veers from it and I think that may have been the brilliance of this series and why it's lasted so long, because it's not the character, it's not the setting, it's not anything, it's the formula. It's the fact that you know exactly what you're gonna get when you buy a ticket for one of these things. And it was, I think, a genius move to to keep everyone, every one of these movies is almost exactly the same. And, and one of those elements is there's always a super villain. And I used to think to myself with James Bond movies, how many super rich, evil, megalomaniac assholes could there possibly be in the world? And I don't think that any, I don't ask that question anymore. No, no. I now believe there could be an unlimited number of them. So maybe I, maybe James Bond is relevant again.
1: How preposterous is Diamonds Are Forever? The two wealthy brothers who have their own train on their property Um it's like the Koch brothers. Yeah. They have their own train on their property it's not, it's and None of this stuff is preposterous guys. anymore. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, it's it's like they're no. Bond villains. It's amazing. Yeah. No. It,
0: it, it's I mean, it makes you wonder which came first. Are they are these billionaires now um, are the, are the Bond villains their role models? Is this what they've been inspiring to all this time? <laughs> it's got to be it's uh, gotta uh, be. You got to wonder about Elon Musk. I'm I mean, waiting for what's coming islands. from that guy yeah. cuz he seems like almost like have. on the money.
3: You always hear they've built these hundred million dollar estates, you know, that with have all kinds of um, hidden things on them, and gadgetry and stuff. It's it's they're one step away from a volcano lair.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if Elon Musk retires to a volcano lair. At, no, no, later no, 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 in no life.
3: At all. It's so perfectly well within his character.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, this brings us kind of to the end. I'm just wondering if you have a any. Anybody have any final thoughts? Let me just
2: throw this out. You can edit this out if you want. But um, since we got the female spy, um, and she's terrible. She's a terrible spy. I just want to mention some amazing female spies. Of course, Mata Hari being the most famous, and who in contemporary, um, the contemporary scholars believe she was completely railroaded and executed for no reason, just to um, as a scapegoat for the French Army. But um, I just want to mention Vera Adkins... Who would invent weapons? So she she worked for Churchill. She would uh, make stuffed rats, uh, stuff rats She would stuff actual rats with explosives. That was one of the things she did. Um, Christina Scarbeck, who was a skiing spy. I noticed that's a thing. There there were spies whose whose specialty was skiing. She was one of them, Um, and she was eventually.
3: Which was she more into, the skiing? (laughs) I think.
2: Well, you know, I mean, just (laughs) like my. She was a Polish woman who were you know again under Churchill. Who um, was so um, notorious and famous and amazing at what she did? She had a fall of fans, you know, like Mata Hari, and was eventually stabbed to death by an obsessive fan, um, Nancy Wake, who apparently killed Germans with her bare hands. And anyway, there's just—I I mean, I just was sort of this got me interested in that, and I encourage everyone to look up female spies because um, there were uh, some good ones. There were some. I always, good think, of, ones. Some good I always ones. think
0: of Julia Child. Uh, you know, apparently did some. Espionage work in World War II, a lot I of that came. That. What year was that that they they unearthed those classified documents and we found out a lot of people were spies that we didn't know. Were I didn't spies. know that
2: actually a child.
0: Yeah, she. I, I I don't think she assassinated anybody. I can't remember exactly what she did, but she was she worked for,
2: uh, wow. Secret Service, right?
0: Uh,
3: these like, these
2: women were were have a
0: hard time believing she didn't assassinate
3: these
2: anybody. women. I'm mentioning were Bond. <laughs> I mean, truly Bond level. I mean, they were. They were in the dirt, you know, literally killing people and, you know, in the trenches. And it's a, it, they're yeah. all pretty amazing stories. It's really worth looking these women up. And, you know, it's just just sort of interesting. Um, just, just, I'm just making up for Ms. Tarot and her, <laughs> her, her terrible representation of female spies.
0: Who was the last The woman you said killed the Nazis?
2: Uh, Nancy, uh, Nancy Wake.
0: Is that the basis for the Black Book? Mitch, do you know the Paul Verhoeven's movie know. Black Book? I don't know. Uh, there was a. Uh, it's about a female spy who basically like seduces Nazis and kills them.
2: Yeah, they're all worthy of movies. I mean, every. I'm yeah. sure you know. I haven't. I am. I'm not. I i am not i have not immersed myself in it enough to know what kind of um, literature has come out of the, the, the you know from these women. But certainly, there's books written about a lot of these yeah. women. So very cool. Yep. Very cool.
3: Well, I just want to say um, last week as I was. Uh, as I was uh, recovering from uh, my uh, uh, horrible bout uh, with a kidney stone, I was decided to pick up the book Doctor No and read it um, in preparation for uh, for this podcast. And a pa- a passage stood out to me in the first chapter, which is that M uh, is uh, preparing for uh, putting Bond on a new case, and so he has a conversation with the doctor who's been treating Bond because apparently Bond uh, not doing well from his last mission and is in a lot of pain and M consults the doctor and uh, wants to get an update on Bond's condition and how he's doing vis-a-vis all the pain he's in and the doctor says this he says of course if you put it like that but pain's an odd thing we know very little about it you can't measure it the difference in suffering between a woman having a baby and a man having a renal colic and all I can say to that is, yeah, tell me about it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep, men. Yep. Passing a stone is just like <sighs> passing a human, squirming human being from your well, vagina. It's worse.
3: <laughs> it's worse. <laughs> it's,
0: oh, worse. <laughs> it's worse. Well, I have I have witnessed the passing of a child, and it took a very long time. And it was clearly a horrible Horrible experience. I just
2: want no,
3: you have and to, I passed the kidney because stone. Because then, when it's over, you don't get to dress it up and take it to the park. I just want oh, you guys to have yourself. cramps. I just, I mean, I guys... plan to, but you're not supposed to. I plan
0: to, but you're not supposed to.
2: I just want you guys to have cramps once, once okay. just one month of cramps, and then calculate in your mind, yes, how, we're... how often.
0: I am, I'm with you. I, I know, I don't know. But I know
2: and, and this that full, it's worse. Bringing this full circle, that's why women are better spies. We can be tortured. I mean, that's just a fact. Women can take oh, pain. I believe it. Women can take pain better than men. We can be tortured for way longer than men can. So we are I better spies. It. Yeah, objectively, true. objectively. A,
3: get yourself a monthly kidney stone, and we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how you feel. Yeah, I, th- I agree. I think you're right. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, either of you got anything? We talked about some of your stuff earlier, but you want to go ahead and plug anything else?
2: Uh, Um, Susan, you guys got
0: episodes still coming? Yeah,
2: I've been really in slow motion with Rosemary's Baby because of moving and COVID and all these other things. Uh, But I am still doing it. I have a few more episodes left. Trying very hard to get guests. It's been a little harder to get guests because of everything that's going on. But Rosemary's Baby 666. Same thing as what you guys are doing, but I'm looking at every six minutes and six, 66 seconds of Rosemary's Baby. So we're almost on the same level. Which I know, is, I'm weird. so happy. I'm really happy about that. Cause I felt like I was cheating terribly, but you I guys, thought we
0: were the longest. I, I I was like, okay, seven minutes were the longest. I went, no, she's six seconds, six longer, seconds than longer Six seconds longer,
2: six seconds longer. So yeah, so, and then I had done a whole series on The Shining every two minutes and 37 seconds. So do look that up. Thank you.
3: Joe, what do you got? And I. I'm Joe Dater. I'm a cartoonist. You can see my work in the New Yorker magazine on a fairly frequent, regular basis. Um, once in a while, maybe. Uh, and uh, my website is Joedater.com. I'm Joe Dater on Instagram. You can see my my cartoons there. And uh, look for Dr. Nah coming to starring Joey Baboots, the world's greatest spy, coming to uh, on demand and uh, digital very very soon.
0: And, uh, of course, yeah, we're 007 by 7 You can follow us over on Twitter at 007x7podcast. 007 7 you can follow us on Instagram at the same handle. Also, come over to patreon.com forward slash alien minute for more supplemental episodes about Alien, about James Bond, about all kinds of other films. Um, just come over there and subscribe for $2 per episode. And uh, I guess that's going to do it for this week. We'll see you next week on 007x7. 007 by 7.
1: Bye, everybody.